This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action to create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in this tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction. This week, I will be speaking with Arlene Harris. Arlene is an award-winning serial innovator and founder of several companies, including Great Call, maker of the Jitterbug cellular phone and ServiceNow, owned by Best Buy. Having grown up in a wireless family business, she started working with computers in the late 60s and has spent the next five decades at the intersection of wireless and computing. Most recently, she founded WeThink, the maker of Rosie, a private digital home assistant, readying for launch this year. Welcome to the show, Arlene. I'm so happy to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm uh, grateful to be here, and I love your mission. That's great. Thank you. So, Arlene, you're an award-winning serial innovator and founded several companies. Can you share with us how you got started and what your journey looked like? I started uh, working um, in my family's business when I was, well, before I was a teenager. Uh, And my dad was a... um, was an entrepreneur and he started in the radio telephone business in the early 50s and I started working with him on uh, as a telephone operator uh, around 1960 and that was my uh, through those early years and starting when I actually was working that that was my introduction to uh, sort of a very fundamental technology because we ran a in order to make mobile telephone calls in the 60s and 70s you had to um, have operator assistance and an old cord board was called a cord board which was a switchboard that had cords on it where you patched people together and so that was sort of a a very early introduction to technology Then after uh, years of working there and I went to work for the airlines and um, I learned about computers and that started my life in uh, sort of where computing and wireless connect. So I worked in, um, in the airline industry for about four or five years. I learned about building databases and testing software and lots of things that were very early. This was in the late 60s and early 70s. And then when paging became a rave in the early 70s, 
I went back to my family's business and it's been one uh, enterprise after another since then. That's great. Um, what a great start with technology. And boy, I remember those cord boards. <laughs> I worked, my mom worked as a switchboard operator many, many, many years ago. And I used to go into work with her sometimes and I would see her and you're right. That's like the beginning of technology because you literally have to patch people together. So very, very cool. So, um, how was it growing up in a wireless family business? And uh, when did you start that journey? And tell us more about, you know, any aha moments you had along the way. Well, the family business, I was in the family business throughout my junior high and high school uh, days. And I worked a switchboard and our business was in LA. So we had a whole bunch of very interesting customers. We had some celebrities and we had, um, you know, people that were running businesses. We had uh, some nefarious types that were on our uh, system. Um, so what was really interesting about all this is the back in those days, um, you, in order to actually manage the airways, um, even though you patch people together, you had to listen to their phone calls. So for about six years, seven years, on weekends and holidays and nights, I worked the family switchboard. I was listening to phone calls between people um, that was really like a total education in, in and of itself. There were business calls going on, there were solicitations going on, there were, a business was being transacted, um, people were having personal arguments. Uh, uh, it was really a fascinating sort of lesson in life of all these characters that were roaming around Los Angeles in their cars talking on the telephone. So I think that was probably um, a really great foundation to help me understand how the world worked, how things got done. And, and it was, it was uh, almost an MBA and before I got out of high school. Um, and then after high school, I went into the airlines. That was a, that move that I made where I learned about computers. And when I came back into my family business, I started, uh, I, I helped automate. This was really early in the early 70s. I helped automate the management of our mobile telephone business. And that gave me the, the those, those experiences gave me the foundation that I needed to go on and do some of the things that I did later in my career. That is fascinating. Very, very interesting. So could you share with our listeners your thoughts about the intersection between wireless and computing? Well, um, computing was uh, taking its own path. Computing is based on technology that was uh, 
allowing people to input and store and process and regurgitate data from computers in ways that had uh, had not been done before. So that was that that was the the early infancy. In the airline business where I worked, um, we were um, running uh, computers to uh, set up reservations and uh, uh, provide the controls for the movement of airplanes and passengers around the network of, of cities that we ran. This was at Continental Airlines. Um, and uh, so what I learned there is that um, the pr proper, uh, right about that time, the wide-bodied airplanes were coming into play and everything in the airline industry had been manual before that. And we had to automate all of the activities so that you could move so many more people through airports and get them on their way. So I... Um, participated in the building of databases and other information systems that would allow the people that were out in airports and reservation services to be able to actually do their jobs with that many people coming through the airports. It was just a fascinating uh, time. It lasted for about five years. I was in the middle of it for about three years. And um, it gave me the instincts that I carried on to my later career that made me understand that um, technologies and the way people use them are typically um, best implemented in a process. That is, in my family's business when I started, you'd have maybe an accounting system and then you'd have an inventory control system and you'd have a a, a payroll system and you'd have some system that ran your did something in your business and they were all separate systems but it turns out that when you run a business uh, typically there's a beginning and an end to things that happen in that business there's a flow and it turns out in that few years of working for the airlines I learned that processing, getting people to start an op to start something and move them all the way through your system is a process. And so I became kind of a systems thinker when it comes to the application of technology. You start with somebody calling in and making a reservation and you end with delivering their baggage at the other end. And all the systems that were being created when I was working on these were intended to make that flow and the impedance, the impedances that could happen in that flow, it was to take those impedances away. And so when I came back into the, my family business and then, you know, forever through my, through my career, it was all about building systems that were end to end, start, go through the process, solve problems, remove barriers, and get to the solution that you're after, or the out outcome that you're after. So that's really the, um, the, 
benefit of the marriage uh, that's computing. And then, you know, wireless is a way to move that data while you're disconnected. So when that happened early this, you know, in the early, late, late 90s or 90s, uh, when we started getting applications, we got into feature phones and things like that. You started seeing more and more and more of the computing getting married to the delivery, the origination and the delivery by wireless means. Uh, so that was that's happened fairly recently. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting. The entire. Um, the, the critical part of business is process, right? And so you hit the nail right on the head when you said that. It's you, you have to linearly think of what that process looks like and then streamline and optimize every step of the way so that you're solving problems, you're not creating more problems along the way. And like you said, from the time you make your reservation to the time you get your baggage on the other end, that's the process you've got to streamline for your customers. And so, you know, in the training business, we have the same thing, you know, from the time they actually say, yes, we want to take training. We have tons of logistical pieces to that process um, until you're done with the training and they're saying, yes, we've had a wow experience, you know, so process is critical. And um, I think it really gives you an idea about critical thinking and, um, and also problem solving, which is great. That's right. And uh, one thing I'd like to say about what's happening today, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, we're getting to the point now where computing and, you know, how you get your delivery uh, wirelessly or not, uh, are the technologies that have been implemented. And we're now in a, you know, I could, I could describe this, and I won't do this in this call, but um, there's a stack that's happened since the beginnings of computing and, and wireless. There's a stack of things that have happened that have brought us to the place where we are now. And my view is that many of the things that need to be done in the future um, are going to be very happily solved by women, uh, primarily because we're getting out into the layer where the understanding of human behavior is almost more important now than the technology that underlies the delivery of solutions to people. As we move into machine learning and AI, uh, the the um, instincts and the um, cultural issues that help us be different. And I believe that's a, an important thing, that we are different. We're all different, and women are oftentimes a lot different than men. And I think that there's a, a, a time coming now that um, women's instincts and the things that they want to do and solve are going to be solved by technology and they're going to be a big part of driving what those solutions are and how they behave with people. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is so true. You know, women have some innate um, 
characteristics that are really great for uh, collaborating, for instinct, as you said, um, and really bringing out that uh, personality into AI and machine learning could be, you know, huge for women um, as we grow mo more and more into, um, you know, machine learning and AI. So I love that you brought that up because I think it's so critical that women are in this technology age and we keep building this pipeline uh, to grow more women in, in this industry. So I hear you have some exciting news about a new product launch. Can you tell us more about that? Um, yeah, this is, uh... Um, we're, we've been working for many years on the um, concepts behind what we're doing now. We actually just started actually working on the project uh, in earnest to develop a product and a service to launch uh, about a year and a half ago. And um, what we're um, what we're working on is a a family home management system. And uh, this is a little off, off my normal uh, discipline, which has been in various applications of wireless. This is actually a device that's, we're building a device that sits in the home uh, and becomes a private console for families to help them manage and support their multi-generational families. Um, it's a pretty complicated system. Uh, it's taking a lot of uh, very intense uh, discovery and, you know, things that haven't been done before. Uh, but the, the outcome of that is that we want our customers to be able to create their own individual repositories of their digitized data and be able to put that in a place where they own it. So for example, if you have financial data at your brokerage or your bankers, you've got uh, health data all over the place, you've got um, uh, uh, travel, uh, you've got photographs that you've taken that you wanna keep and you wanna think about that being in your file cabinet in your office. All of that stuff is in one place and you know where to go get it. That was sort of the analog uh, photo, the, the way we did it before computerization. Um, now we've got stuff spread all over the internet. We've got uh, tangible things that are part of our lives and records and intangible things like what's out there in the world. And what we want to do is help families bring that together so that you own your data. It's in your storage securely and privately, and that you can privately share that data uh, with friends and family and other and colleagues if you need to. So it's a very uh, a ambitious uh, program. But we think that the time now is to start that and that over time, we'll be able to deliver 
a system to families that make your data searchable, that make your data available to share, and that you're not going to have people sharing your data without your approval. So it's a um, very serious uh, effort to bring some control back into our lives. <clears throat> the company is called Rethink, um, and the product is called Rosie. So we're hoping to launch later this year um, and uh, ship early next year. That is awesome. I can't wait to be a customer. <laughs> um, this sounds like a very, very uh, important system for families so that everything is in one place. Um, you know, just for if you're looking into the future about children trying to access everything from their parents, whether it be health records, it be, you know, um, directives, medical directives, it could be just medications, it could be uh, passwords. There's just so much information today that I think, you know, Tomorrow, if I'm gone, how will everybody find all my stuff in my family that they need access to? So having it in one central location is just the first step to be able to organize it. And I love that you said pictures because, you know, having it there, having it secure, having it backed up with all your important documents is so critical because, you know, they are your memories, which is so awesome to have at your fingertips. So I love, love, love this pro product and can't wait for its launch. So excited. Well, we'll let you know when that yes, happens. Please do, please do. So being a woman in technology, what challenges have you faced and what are some of the things you've done to overcome them? Well, hmm. <laughs> probably, the, probably what I would say is the toughest thing is um, in my case, I have big ideas. Mm -hmm. So big idea. And I, I once had a, a, a personal friend of mine who was in a finance business said to me, um, women belong in nonprofits because women don't have big ideas. I mean, oh. <laughs> and that, you know, part of, my issue is that my ideas are always bigger than, you know, I could implement myself. A lot of things you can go get friends and family money for, and you can get started and you can start making revenue and they're not, they don't take a lot of investment to get done. Well, it turns out probably because of where I've been, I think in systems, systems are uh, you know, uh, uh, putting multiple, typically putting multiple technologies and, you know, behavioral things together in order to, to have an outcome that you want. And so um, they typically cost more to make. So for example, my last venture was the um, Jitterbug phone. Well, you know, that was a whole system. We had to build uh, services. We built a product. We partnered with Samsung. We, um, but it was an entire sort of uh, build it, 
figure out how to sell it, you know, or make people let people know you're even there. Uh, the transactions itself, the service that comes with it, you know, what happens after people don't need it anymore, all of that, that whole process was pretty expensive to create. And one of the hardest things to do is um, for women in, in particular, and this is, this is statistical, is to get financing uh, to bring your ideas to life, especially if they're bigger than you have the opportunity to uh, sort of bootstrap yourself. If you've got uh, big ideas that cost to implement, um, especially if those ideas are sort of ideas that are focused at solving problems that women have in contrast with men, it's really hard. So for example, uh, most people, most families, the women in the family are the ones that take care of their parents. So in a hundred or so at least meetings that I had with people to finance my last business, the comment that they would make is something like, and I can generalize, gee, I really like what you're doing. My wife would love it. Let us mm -hmm. know when you actually bring it to market but this isn't the kind of thing that our venture firm finances, you know? So mm -hmm. oh. it's, it's, it's a pro so if you're trying to solve problems or that are primarily targeted at the pain points of women, it's very often very difficult to get financing from men, you know, and men manage most of the early stage capital in this country. That so is I would so say absolutely true. Yes, go ahead. The, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. That's the biggest uh, challenge. That's the biggest challenge that I've had in my career is um, financing. Yeah, that is one of the biggest challenges for women is to get financing and capital. Um, I think the stats are like only 3% of women are funded um, for their business ideas. And like you said, if your idea is big and bold, you need a large, um, a large funding source. And to get those are so, so difficult. So um so how have you overcome that you know with having this many meetings with investors and and convincing them about your idea how were you able to be so successful and launch different products over the years well i uh, you know my last deal got funded because i stretched myself so thin we actually went to market mm. without any real institutional financing and we proved to the market that the what they say in the business is that the dogs eat the dog food so we were we had to actually prove what we were doing was actually marketable and that we could deliver that was very very deep into the development of the business so uh, it was a very stressful time because I put all of my resources on the line uh, to get that business started. 
Um, that's not something that any just anybody can do. It happens that I happen to have the resources at the time mm -hmm. uh, that I could leverage, but it was it was really stressful. Um, getting you know getting into a world where you're going to be risking not only your time, which is given, but your money, your family's money, your livelihood, you could, you know, get starting a business where you have to raise money and raise a lot of money. That's a real commitment. And it's not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why a lot of people take uh, industry jobs and, and, um, and don't ever try to be the <clears throat> business starter and because it is a very tough uh, road to hoe. It's not, it's not something that you do just because you've got a, a dream. You've got to make sure you understand that you could be sacrificing your, your family life. You can be sacrificing an awful lot. Uh, so it's, it's a, not for everybody. Totally agree. Been there. <laughs> I do that every day and know that, you know, it's just you take risks all the time and uh, they are big risks as your company grows. I, um, I thought it was really interesting that you said, you know, you had to prove yourself and we find a lot of women always in the jobs they do and the jobs that they're selected for have to continuously prove themselves rather than a male counterpart has so much confidence that goes in there, even if they don't have the qualifications, they don't have to prove themselves as much. And we see that with women all the time that you have to prove yourself. Part of it is, you know, we beat ourselves up, but additionally also, um, we are held to a whole different standard in proving ourselves. So very, very interesting and very true. And I think the risks that we take as a business owner, uh, I think is not, like you said, not for everybody, not for the faint of heart, because uh, that's why most companies, most people work for companies because it's not easy. So well, today, go ahead. You've got that right. <laughs> uh, so today in our world, everything is connected. You're very connected to data. You're um, connected to the wireless world. Tell me about your thoughts on data privacy and security, because it's so much of it everywhere. And it can get scary uh, when, you know, you can find almost anything about anybody online. What are your thoughts on how to keep that data private and secure? Well, you, it, it's pretty difficult today to keep all of your data private and secure. What's really not a good thing is that the people that you do business with uh, feel that they have the right to share your data with people that you haven't made a bargain with. Mm. So when you make a bargain uh, with someone to uh, use their website or whatever, um, you don't really know. Uh, and so we're, we're 
we're actually working because of the nature of the work that we're doing now mm -hmm. to actually consolidate your data under your own control in our process of building rethink we're we're designing in privacy that's a that's a real commitment when you when you create a business or a service that's got privacy in it by design you, you really need to start from the ground up to do that uh, what's happened is that we have um you know this internet that we've enjoyed and the world wide web that is the service on top of the internet that um, is the way that we actually address uh, our communications between each other. Um, many things have happened uh, to create the applications that we're now using uh, that have unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, and it turns out that, you know, the, the privacy issue was not understood when the internet was created and when the World Wide Web was created. So then the, some of the principles behind uh, an open and free communication system have delivered these unintended consequences. So I think there are a lot of, in fact, I know there are a lot of people working on trying to figure out how do we fix these uh, outcomes, these unintended consequences. We have a program that we've uh, uh, supported um, called the me to be Alliance. Uh, it's a me to be alliance.org. And that is uh, uh, an effort to try to create certification for companies who agree that what they're doing will respect your privacy so that when you do business with a company on the web, if they've got a certification from the me to be Alliance, that's telling you that they are not going to betray your confidence. Um, and there are other companies that are doing more technical <clears throat> building tools that will help you protect your privacy. Um, so, but the, the issue becomes how complicated is it for us to actually do that? And how technical do you have to be? And so just the user experience uh, has to be created or has to be defined in that context because, you know, you could, if you're a techno geek, you could probably figure out how to protect your data. But if you're not, uh, and you're, you know, uh, just a, you're a, not a technical person. Uh, you don't have as much qualification to, to actually bring that um, kind of support into your life. So we're trying to remedy some of that, but it's a huge issue. That is a big issue, yes. Um, and the more data that starts to fill um, in our world, the more security privacy is needed. And yeah, there's some tools and things that are coming up that you know are helping. But I, I loved your thought process about you know when the internet was built, it was built to freely share, and now we're kind of going backwards and band-aiding it for privacy and security. And 
you know, if you redesign that, it would look a lot different today. That's right. If you, that's right. If you looked at how to develop the, uh, you know, if we, if we knew then what we know now, the internet would look a lot different. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's more, so it's more the World Wide Web and, you know, some of its underpinnings on the internet that actually create the opportunity to do some of the bad things that go on here. And it is companies' policies and principles, and it's the fact that our our legislators and people have found it not necessary to be uh, rigorous about um, the uh, um, some of the the policies that we have uh, created even back in the 70s when we started sharing credit information so that you could get you know credit faster uh, that's sort of the beginning of the of the you know problem that we have now um, hopefully with you know more um, policies and mandates like GDPR we're going to see, some tighter rules and restrictions around um, personal data. I'm sorry, say that again. I said, um, you know, with GDPR uh, coming in, which is a lot of privacy and regulations around personal data, started out in Europe and now right. is uh, coming out here. I said with, with that type of uh, mandates, I, you know, I think we'll see more restrictions and uh, privacy around our data, hopefully in, in the future. Yeah, well, here's the nightmare. Um, we need a, we need a sort of, what would be best is a, is a global, um, a global, uh, regulation mm -hmm. that would, you know, create, that would be laid across technologically. I mean, right now we have the internet capable of doing all these things. And so the technology is enabling it. And so, you know, you have to have legislation to correct or to create the, the penalties for people that are better and, and definitions uh, and the penalties for people for companies, especially that abuse um, the what goes on on the internet, it's sort of like if you practice the golden rule, none of this would be happening. But mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that's very worrisome is that, for instance, I read something recently that said half of the states in the United States have their own privacy policies that they're working on. Well. You can imagine what that means to commerce, where you're trying to build some platform that's going to be used by everybody in the country or maybe in the world, but say you're targeting the US mm -hmm. and you've got to comply with regulations from, you know, 25 different states <laughs> plus the European Union, plus the California, you know, uh, it's mm -hmm. just the, the, the possibilities are, are, and the problems that it causes are enormous in mm -hmm. trying to create technology that's useful to everybody and comply with all these laws. 
So I've, uh, one of our primary emphasis here, and especially since we're doing a privacy product, mm -hmm. um, is let's get on the same page and, you know, try to um, both create the tools and the techniques and the methods that allow people to manage their data and control what goes on, and at the same time, create the regulatory processes for a national policy that says this is how you need to behave in cyberspace. And, um, and if you don't, there are consequences. And those consequences are uh, important. And there's a process to, to um, regulate and enforce, mm -hmm. uh, which is what we don't see a lot of right now. Right. Great. Well, such a great co topic. We could go on and on and on because there's so much to talk about there. But let's let's move on to if you can share um, with our listeners, our women, um, just some leadership skills that you've learned in your career and any closing advice that you could provide for them. Well, one thing I could say is, um, as, as a leader, uh, you really do need to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are and make sure that you, when you need them, is surround yourself with people that are much smarter and more capable of doing things that you either don't like to do or don't want to do uh, uh, or can't do. Uh, so. You know, I like to say that I really don't know how to do any one thing very well, but I have big ideas and the ideas need to have the kinds of people that can implement them. So ideas are sort of a dime a dozen, but the plan and execution of the ideas is what makes for Real, out, real good, you know, outcomes, whether they are business outcomes or whatever they happen to be. The other thing I'd say is that once you make the commitment, um, perseverance is probably one of the, you know, your uh, um, is probably one of the characteristics that is the most important. You've decided what you want to do, and you pull the trigger, and you're going to go do it and you surround yourself with people that can help you do it uh, and um, and you focus. One of the things that's made it very hard for women, uh, you know, guys when they enter their career because the household and the family things are typically taken care of by women, the guys focus on their careers. I mean, that's, that's really, in most families, at least you know, in my world, most families, the guys go off to work and they are not really as much involved in the in the success of the family unit as the as the gals are. So if you want to focus, uh, you know, a guy can focus a lot more uh, easily. Women typically have the load of the kids and the parents. And uh, it's much harder for, just because of our cultural norms,
for women to focus on the job that they're trying to do or some dream that they're trying to make come true. Um, so um, I would say uh, those are the characteristics that uh, really are important in trying to succeed in what you're doing. That's great advice. Um, definitely find your strength and persevere through it. Do it well and don't give up. That's that's really, really great advice. Well, Arlene, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on, on our show and we'd love to have you again in the near future. Well, thank you for having me. I, I, it's, a, it's a joy when I know that the listeners are, are uh, uh, lovely women who are uh, looking for to do things and make things happen in this world. And through your advice, they can start to think big and do some big things. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And please take a minute to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it in-person, virtual, on-demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. Thanks for listening to Technology in the Right Direction your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world. To download this week's show or listen to past shows, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Past shows are also available at ewnpodcastnetwork.com, as well as through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out how to be a guest on the show, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we hope that technology takes your business in the right direction. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN 